Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Tennis Nut, Carol Ray, and you're listening to the one and only Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and hello in particular to Carol Ray, who provided our lovely upbeat intro there to today's show, which will be part one of our review of 2021, a moderately less horrible year than 2020, I think, on in general. Last year's uh, review of the year was titled Anna Terribles. Uh, any, any ideas yet what we'll be titling this year's review of 2021. David, you often do the titles. Although I, I think I came up with Anna Cerebliss. Mm. I just steam in, you know, when things are dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> well, for this one, I think we'll just go, well, that happened. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, whatever we've ended up titling this show, I hope you enjoy it. It is going to be our review of the first half of 2021. We'll be back on Thursday with the review of the second half of 2021. Many of you will know that since you last heard from us, we have launched our new Friends of the Tennis podcast platform, a way for you to support us financially, emotionally, in all the ways and we are so tremendously overwhelmed with how you have done so over the course of the last five days. It's only been five days. It's no longer a, a Kickstarter situation where there's a target and a time limit. It is an ongoing thing. You can sign up. I mean, we encourage you to sign up ASAP, uh, but you can sign up whenever you like and you can offer your ongoing support of the tennis podcast and officially become our friend. We've got like a thousand more friends than we had a week ago, Matt. This is what it feels like to be popular. <laughs> yes, it's it's been very nice being able to call it friends. People have really liked that and we've liked that a lot. So thank you for everyone for officially becoming our friend. Yeah, it's been, um, I know we say this every year and I kind of run out of, of ways to say it and not sound hyperbolous and overblown and overwrought, but it is, it's very overwhelming, isn't it, David? It means a lot to us the way you will show your support. Yeah, well, we're in our 10th year and uh, and that's 
is has been a lot, a lot of effort, a lot of love and passion for the for the whole thing from us, and and to see it reciprocated like this is is amazing. And you get extra stuff this time as well. You know, it's uh, if you do sign up, um, it's full of bonus content, um, which uh, which we're really thrilled to be able to put together and do things a little bit differently. And um, we did our my first Wimbledon show. That's the one you can get right now if you sign up to be a friend of the tennis podcast. You can do all the old shout outs and all that sort of stuff as well. But I mean, it's uh, it's just um, it is uplifting, and uh, yeah, it makes it makes me happy that we. We're cracking on and working all hours because it really is worth it. Yeah, that that bonus show that we've already recorded and is already there waiting for Friends of the Tennis podcast to listen to. Um, It's us each discussing our first uh, viewing, spectating and working experience at Wimbledon. And I don't want to spoiler anything, but there is a story in there, a never told before story involving the destruction of... (laughs) Uh, my family home by by me in a in a sleeping accident, and since that podcast was recorded, uh, photographic accompaniments to that story have emerged uh, and will be unleashed at some stage this week, possibly in the newsletter, possibly on social media. Uh, so, if you'd like to know what on earth those pictures are about, then I encourage you to sign up to Friends of the Tennis Podcast and listen to that uh, opening bonus pod now before we get into our review of the year some some really sad news to bring you actually which is the death of Manolo Santana who of course won Wimbledon the US Open uh, twice won the French Open uh, all in the 1960s he died over the weekend at the age of 83 as Billie Jean King uh, tweeted and pointed out she said he and I won our first Wimbledon singles titles together in 1966, she said, we danced the first dance at the ball. He loved the sport and we shared many conversations over the years. Condolences to his family. Chris Clary tweeted that uh, he was the first Spanish man to win Wimbledon and the popularizer of tennis in Spain, which is a really important point, I think. Without Manolo Santana, we might never have had Rafael Nadal, um, Garbini Muguruza and, and countless others. Rod Laver tweeted uh, a tribute to a clay court maestro. He said Manolo famously said grass was for cows but still managed to win Wimbledon in 1966 and inspired generations of Spanish players with his renowned heavy topspin and fighting spirit. Of course, Rafael Nadal very um, affected by the news. He tweeted and this is translated from Spanish. Thank you so much for what you did for our country and for paving the way for so many of us. You were always a mentor, a friend and a person close to everyone. We will miss you. You will always be unique and special. And there were tributes as well from um, the Spanish royal family who said there are people who become legendary and who make a country great. Manolo Santana will always be one of them. And um, the news of his passing was on the front page of... Uh, the Spanish newspaper marker today and the headline was the smile of Spanish sport has gone out. So, um, yeah, he'll be missed. And he was a, a huge figure in the sport during his playing career and long after David. Yeah. And ever present for us in terms of watching big tennis matches, particularly in Spain and, and in Italy as well and, and various other places and seeing him as a guest and seeing him so warmly greeted by the players of today. That's something that I've always 
associated with him people always seem so happy to see him and and just doing a little bit of reading about him over the last couple of days and being reminded that he was the the initial person who said grass is for cows and yet he won Wimbledon you know even even despite his initial maybe aversion to to the surface and and I, I found that amazing and I also read that really he was the person responsible for making Spain making tennis popular in Spain and uh, and that's what 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 a legacy that is mm, absolutely and that legacy will w- live on because that grasses for cows quote is wheeled out every single sort of transition from clay to grass season sort of first week of the grass court season that quote is always wheeled out probably by me um at various points so uh yeah <laughs> that legacy will live on as well so condolences um of course to the family of Monado Santana he will be missed uh, by the tennis world now we are going to move on to review uh, a year that is not yet ended we're all we're all of sort of six days into a sort of 14 day off season hope you're all enjoying it and 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 relishing all that rest the the gym videos of tennis players are flooding in i've had to briefly mute maria sachary because it's all it's all a bit much um <laughs> uh, she's she's hard at it in the gym but i'm going to take you back to the start of this season a season that we didn't know would start, or we certainly didn't know when and how it would start. I mean, it was all so precarious right up until the very moment that that players started boarding those charter flights. And even, I mean, actually, you could say it became more precarious after they started boarding those charter flights. I mean, it is one of those situations. I mean, even now, less than 12 months later, it feels... It feels pretty mad, but hopefully in 10 years' time, touch wood with some distance from COVID, we'll look back at that and go, goodness me, that was wild. Yeah, I was going back over our podcasts from the start of the year and we were so enthusiastic. Tennis is back. There's tennis everywhere. And then suddenly there was this two-week gap as all the players got on their planes, their charter flights to go to Melbourne to do the two-week quarantine and there was no tennis at all for those two weeks and within those two weeks we had podcasts you know one was called Melbourne Mayhem because it was all so precarious obviously a reminder Andy Murray tested positive before going and couldn't end up going to Melbourne tennis Sangren tested positive and then got on the plane anyway and then loads and loads of players had to do a strict 14-day lockdown and throughout that time tennis was getting a real hammering in the Australian media and there were lots of complaints of entitled tennis players moaning about their situation and there were also this sort of farcical comical scenes of of Heather Watson running a 5k in her hotel room and uh, Pablo Cuevas setting up a Pablo sort of Cuevas became a thing. <laughs> Do you remember what, what when Pablo he... Cuevas was a sort of a lockdown content sensation? What, what was he doing? I can't remember he, this. He, he was sort of pretending to surf on his bed or something, um, and he was making videos. At the time, David, it. it was the height of mm. entertainment. It was all we there had. Was very, there was very little else going on. <laughs> I see. And um, was TikTok involved? <laughs> yes. Right. And I still don't know. I don't really know what that is still. But anyway, and carry on. Yulia Putin-Saver was having 
lots of incidents with mice. She moved from one room to another and there was a mouse in both rooms. Um, and, and she put a sign up saying we need fresh air to breathe. I mean, what it are was the chances chaos. that there would be a mouse in both rooms? I mean, that is hugely unlucky for Yulia Putin-Saver, mm. isn't it? I mean, and look, the we... <laughs> We knew it was a big deal at the time and we really felt for them, these players that ended up in in the strict hard quarantine. Um, but I think actually even with the benefit of hindsight, it seems even more of a big deal. You've got some of those players that ended up in that situation still feeling the effects of that and maybe feeling them more now after a bit of time, time has passed. I mean, we've got Bianca Andreescu, who's just released a statement saying she's not going to be playing the Australian Open that starts next season and her mental health this year is, is has really suffered and she needs she needs some time away from from competing just to try and straighten herself out and she referenced in that statement how her year started in the most difficult possible way Sloane Stevens I know suffered some some harrowing family bereavements around the same times so there were other things going on but she ended up in hard quarantine as well, didn't she? I mean, the the legacy of that, I think, has lasted all year and maybe even beyond. Yeah, I, I think back back then, we speculated that that might be the case. There might be some problems, but I, I suspected that they would be more immediate. I thought that we would see players coming out um, mentally onto the, onto the circuit in Australia and struggling more than they appeared to. There, there appeared to be a lot of relief, really, just to, to be out and suddenly, you know, happiness and all the rest of it. What we ended up seeing, I think, were more physical ailments of, of the body having just not been ready for, for that sort of intense battle. We were seeing all those sort of abdominal strains, weren't we, from multiple players at the Australian Open. But you're right, I think we've got to a year on and... and the the circuit has gone round, and I think people have probably started to throw their minds forward to Australia again, and and getting slight, getting anxiety about the, the 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 idea of it again, and the mind going back to what it was like. Mm. I mean, tennis tennis did eventually get back underway after that two week quarantine period, and to jog your memory about tennis's resumption, I have a little quiz for you both. I want you to fill in. The blanks, please, of these tournament names. Starting with the great what? Ocean Road Open. I tell you, I'm going to be wow. so good at this game. <laughs> David's face <laughs> suggests he is not appropriately revised for this game. No. Okay, next one. David, I'll let you have a guess first before Matt gets to speak up. Okay, the Murray what? trophy <laughs> it's not even the right number of words david oh river open oh well i mean yeah i was going to know there was a river this in it a very short memory david one by david i have no idea your man great review of the year with david <laughs> doesn't remember any of it your man david i've got a few haven't i no your man <laughs> That was that was Dan Evans' first title, David. Oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> and Felix auger seems 400th loss in a final, something like yeah. that. Okay, that, I'm, that, I'm really that, sorry that to tell you that uh, the quiz is not yet over. So we had the WTA tournaments. The Gippsland what? Gippsland trophy? Yay, got one. It, David. Great. I'm just going to keep saying trophy. <laughs> Can you keep up your run, David? The Yarra what? 
Yarra Valley Classic. I You're can see n- that. It's y- written down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's written in reading. the agenda. Okay, Saved more. me. Try, yes. not, try not to read uh, the Philip what? Island something. Philip Island Vars? <laughs> no, I don't think there's ever been a tournament called a Vars before. The Philip Island Trophy. There we go. There should be um, a Vars in tennis. They were, Somebody they invent were, a Vars. They were very much of their time, weren't they? We were very glad those tournaments existed at the time. And uh, we loved that they all had animals as their trophies. That was a particular highlight of the year. Um and we 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 had fans back we had fans back in, i mean that was that that we hadn't we hadn't seen a fan we hadn't seen a tennis fan we hadn't experienced atmosphere in so long had we and it was it was quite something my memory of it is is that it took a bit of time to build like initially the crowds for the ATP Cup and all of those new tournaments which emerged were not massive i think there was probably some apprehension in in the community about about going out to these tennis events um and during those tournaments it was again precarious because someone tested positive in the hotel a a worker and they had to stop play for a whole day and do a do a lot of mass testing I remember Craig Tiley was making these appearances where, you know, he just looked like he'd had one hour of sleep. And he was like, give me a break. The draw is coming. We will do the Australian Open draw at some point. I don't know when, but we will do it. And he was having to do an incredible act just to get these tournaments on. But then once the Australian Open began, that was when the crowds were really were really injected into it and there was there were a couple of days I remember in those first first few of the Australian Open where they made us really emotional having mm. having fans back the Nick Kyrgios versus Ugo and Bear match I remember in particular the atmosphere was so incredible and spine tingling and a, a reminder of what we'd lost and and then it all went quiet again <laughs> yeah then we lost it again i mean <laughs> It was so wild, wasn't it, that there was there was a mini lockdown in Melbourne that obviously affected the tennis midway through the tournament. Midway through a match, even, the lockdown came into force midway through Novak Djokovic against Taylor Fritz. And there was there was a pause in the match while the while the fans left. I mean, that was real. That that happened. And and there was there were a number of there was a there was a Nick Kyrgios match, wasn't there, where um, where there was something something to do with a curfew. There was didn't didn't the fa- didn't the match have to finish without fans because there was still a curfew in Melbourne and it finished after that time? Or am I conflating memories here? That was the Djokovic Fritz match where that happened. Was it? Where, but I think Kyrgios was playing team, if I remember, on the same day, and they yes. they finished in time so that they did finish. Yeah, there was fans. this sense of there was like a countdown, was a countdown clock, wasn't there? Yeah. Countdown to lockdown. God. <laughs> the things the things we've got used to and kind of accepted in life the last year and a half, that that still rocks me when I think about it. I mean I'm I'm pleased that we're at least able to adjust. But but I mean at that point, yeah. I remember the emotion. I remember think all the sort of pent up thought of, of what has been lost and then this outpouring of, Oh wow, this was so good, wasn't it? When we used to have that, and uh, and yeah, that that Djokovic Fritz match that was just so weird. 
where the aftermath of everybody walking out and then the sudden silence and um was that was that the match as well where Djokovic did the interview straight afterwards and and he 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 got the problem with the 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 rib mm. and uh and and you know there was that really good interview by Colin Fleming wasn't there in a completely empty silent stadium it was pin drop stuff and oh yeah I can remember how uncomfortable it all was at the time 12 months ago folks we didn't know who Aslan Karatsev was. No. We do now. We do now. We <laughs> do now. Russia's secret weapon. <laughs> I went to the toilet. <laughs> and came out a different player. <laughs> he beat Diego Schwartzman. He beat Felix Auger-Aliassime. He beat Gregor Dimitrov. He reached the he reached the semi-final, of course. And it wasn't a flash in the pan. I mean, he's had... He's had ups and downs in his season, hasn't he? He wasn't sort of reaching semi-finals week in, week out. But I, I think sort of injury permitting, Aslan Karatsev is is here to stay. Yeah, he's got a proper game. He's not. His it's not a coincidence, really. I, what's weird is that he it hadn't happened before. Mm. When you when you look at how complete his game looks, I still don't really get how he didn't break through earlier. But I don't. I don't see why he shouldn't be able to just maintain this sort of ranking mm, yeah long may the reign of Aslan Karatsev and his no nonsense put downs to Andre Rublev <laughs> continue shut up Andre um we had we had brilliant women's matches at the Australian Open didn't we um I think sort of quality of tennis and contest wise those are the ones that that live certainly live with me the most and I think judging by the notes that you've written Matt live with you the most as well yeah, totally. I, I remember thinking we'd sort of seen the final about five times before we even got to the final. We had Sviontek Halep, we had Muguruza Osaka, which was probably the standout match. Muguruza, of course, having having match point, Osaka saving it and obviously going on to win the title. We also had Halep Serena, we had Serena Sabalenka. You know, I think that was around the time where you came up with WTA Avengers, Catherine. There was just so many blockbuster matches between the biggest names in the sport the biggest contenders for the title and then that all sort of culminated I think in Osaka versus Serena which perhaps wasn't the best match but I think the most symbolic probably and and perhaps the most important of of that tournament yeah because Serena you've just reminded me, had beaten Sabalenka, hadn't she? And it was that real sort of Serena wanting to prove a point about... You know, Sabalenka had said that she hits the ball the hardest or somebody had said mm. that about Sabalenka or something, hadn't they? And it was like Serena went out there to make the point, no, I hit the ball the hardest. And it was such a fired up, motivated Serena. And she looked brilliant tennis-wise. Everyone was raving about her movement, weren't they? She really did look right there going into this matchup with uh, with Naomi Osaka. Um, and she ended up losing out to Osaka, of course, in two straight sets. And there was the wave after the match to the fans. And we read a lot into that wave. And this is what, what we had to say, reacting reacting to that match. We've had lots of theories, haven't we, about what it will take for Serena to win another Grand Slam title. One of those theories was she needs to win a final first. She did that last year, didn't help. The other theory was probably she needs to improve her movement and her fitness. Well, that's the thing that we've witnessed this tournament, that that has improved. 
And that hasn't helped when she's come up against Osaka. My theory is she needs a bit of luck now. She needs a couple of other people to lose, with the with the possible exception of Wimbledon, because Osaka hasn't really quite proved herself at Wimbledon. And this was something Mats Verlander said after the match when talking about how upset Serena was in that press conference. And there is there is another interpretation of how she, upset she was in that press conference, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But his interpretation was that this loss hurts more because she worked harder and she got herself in better shape, the best possible shape she can be in. And it's no longer enough to hang with the very best. It's enough to beat most, probably to crunch most. But there are a couple of people whose best is better now. That is new for Serena. And I imagine a a total sort of does not compute for her psyche. Mm. Yeah, on a hard court, Mm. definitely. Um, I, I, I share your view that at Wimbledon, I think, I mean, we, we, we batted it around on BBC Radio and I still came out. I ended up coming out on the side that I think she will get 24 because I think she can win Wimbledon. Mm. Um, but today, um, this match was a demonstration of how good Osaka is now. Mm. Uh, another another demonstration off the back of the one against Muguruza the other day similar spurt at the end and the, and you're just watching these rallies and you don't know where she's going to go next you do, she's got so many options of direction of ground stroke and she can make up her mind at the very last split second and she's there in time and you can see the opponent leaning the other way even if they're in a perfectly neutral rally and against Serena Williams is belting the living daylights out of the ball and she still ends up leaning the wrong way because Osaka has just changed up. She's seen what she's seen and she's wrong-footed her. It, it's an incredible sight. I think the most fearsome thing about that performance is that although I think it was mentally a 10 out of 10 in terms of you know how she managed her emotions in the match and when she played her best tennis, just objectively in terms of the tennis, it was far from her best. Naomi Osaka can can play a lot better than that. And she was still brilliant today. David mentioned that run she had at the end of the match being similar to the one she had at the end of the Muguruza match. Great players have an ability to time and time again do the same thing. And yet every time it seemed completely remarkable like players have a a trademark you know you think of the number of times you've seen Novak Djokovic hit a certain backhand on the stretch or the number of times you've seen him go into a sort of lockdown mode well Osaka her thing is these surges the number of times she gets herself out of trouble with extraordinary tennis at the right time is incredible. What about Serena and the way she left the court? There was a prolonged and poignant wave to the Rod Laver Arena crowd before she descended into the tunnel. They were on their feet applauding her. She had her her hand over her heart um, and she, she seemed like she was potentially holding back tears throughout a lot of the press conference, doing a very... She was very composed, but she, she certainly was holding in some emotion and then and then she was asked by Karen Karen Krauss about that poignant 
poignant wave and at first she kind of tried to bat it away and just said how much she loves the the Melbourne crowd and and Karen followed up and and told her how some people were interpreting the exit from the court which was as a farewell um and at that point she really seemed to be to be holding back the tears um and uh, she said when it's a farewell I won't tell anyone about it um but then there was a then there was a follow-up question along along a different line from a from a different journalist and once that was asked she she obviously reached the point where she couldn't keep her composure anymore and her voice broke and she said I'm done and uh, she got up and left how do we interpret all of that i mean there's obviously one <laughs> one kind of big interpretation door open and ready for everyone to walk into and and start writing about um i don't think there's quite enough evidence for it, for us to do that but it certainly seems to me that for a, for a bunch of reasons this very well might be her last australian open yeah yeah, it could could well be when you're turning forty in September, which she is. Um, that's absolutely a possibility. And her life, whether she wants her life to be this beyond this year, there's a lot to consider, really, isn't there? Um, but she was also not having it on on the spot itself, um, or not prepared to engage with it. Um, so I think it's definitely possible this this could be her last one. I guess it depends if she gets 24 this year, maybe. Or maybe she's just decided whether I do it or I don't. Yeah, maybe she's just decided for her life mm. that this is the last year she wants to play tennis. It's That's also possible, mm. um, you know, and whatever is, she'll give it a best shot. That That is definitely a possibility. It was not nothing, that moment. Mm. I don't know what it was, but it was something. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I don't know what it means, but it didn't feel like nothing. So we'll spend the next 12 months speculating. Enjoy. It could just be a sort of recognition that even if I want to come back next year, look, if the last 12 months has taught all of us anything, it's that nothing's a given. Plans get yeah. wrenched from you and things get taken out of your control. Could could be as simple as that. Well, Serena Williams is not on the entry list for the 2022 Australian Open. So, yeah, it wasn't nothing, that wave. I mean, who knows what it meant at the time, but looking back, knowing what we know now, it definitely wasn't nothing. I mean, my money at this stage is probably on not seeing Serena Williams play tennis again. We won't we won't get drawn into all of that now because <laughs> we've got many more months of, of the year to live through. But um, it is certainly a very possible scenario uh, we of course had Naomi Osaka winning the title she beat Jennifer Brady in the final where's Jennifer Brady David I mean injured just, Catherine I, I know I know but it's it's a shame obviously so tough yeah. for her because she had this fantastic momentum going and and we just don't we don't even talk about the fact that she's injured do we she just sort of disappeared from the sport for a while that that and that is something that really hits you when you listen to the, some of these clips and remember some of these moments. Is how things can change, how dramatically they can change in in just a year, even in less than a year. Think about it: Jennifer Brady out of the picture, Naomi Osaka. Who would have thought back then that she would have gone through what she's gone through? And we'll obviously be covering 
her her struggles um, with the life and with the environment and all the rest of it um, later in these these couple of shows. But and and there I am saying I think Serena Williams can can get twenty four still um, at, at Wimbledon. And obviously, you can't account for an injury, but that I feel really silly saying that now. I must say I, that it's it's one of those that you you just don't know. And then twelve months on, the life the world can feel so different. Serena's made us all feel silly at various points in our podcasting career. David, welcome to the club. <laughs> she was playing so well, David. She was. Yeah, come on, Matt. Can we? Can we? She have really you was making a fool of she yourself lost to around the Serena. Champion. She got injured at Wimbledon. You know, who knows what could have happened? Ifs and buts and all that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Djokovic beat Medvedev in the men's final. We thought that was going to be a cracker. Um, It was really disappointing. Medvedev was disappointing. Um, he obviously ended up having a brilliant season. More of that to come. But uh, that was a real uh, strange match, really. I mean, Djokovic, Djokovic was uh, brilliant and it turned out to be the first leg in his quest for the calendar slam. No Federer, of course, at the Australian Open. We had to wait until Doha for his return to the Tour. Much anticipated. Uh, he beat Dan Evans in what now looks like a really bad loss for Dan Evans. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, he was irritated by it. At the, I mean, he shouldn't have lost that match, should he? He was fuming after that loss. 
Yeah, as I recall. Yeah, he was. I mean, first, first time Federer's been called a bad loss for about 18 years, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, I mean... But I know what you mean. He didn't win many this year, did he? And one of them was no. Dan Evans. Uh, eventually lost out to uh, to Nicolas Basilashvili. Uh, we had um, the women's tour heading to Dubai, where Garbini Muguruza won her first title for two years. And that was the tournament where uh, Conchita Martinez was there in iPhone form. Yes, she was being held. Her head was being held up on a stick. Mm. Um, very weird. What, what was, so many things that? are weird. <laughs> she couldn't go to Dubai. And they positioned her on a sort of selfie stick on an iPhone screen in in the player box. Mm. Mm. Wow! Yeah, I remember that now. It was it was a very twenty twenty one vibe. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, David, that was the tournament where you discovered Barbora Krachikova as a singles player. Oh yes, my my world improved that week. Mm, She reached the final. Lost. She was great, and she remains great. Yes, correct. Uh, Indian Wells didn't happen, of course, but we had Miami. That returned to the calendar. Ash Barty uh, won there. That final against Bianca Andrescu, which I thought was going to be life-alteringly brilliant. And Andrescu got an injury. And and actually, that, that run for Andrescu looks really anomalous now in, in her season, doesn't it? Because it was, you know, it felt like she was back. And then, of course, the upset of the injury. But she... She's never able to regain that momentum, and and uh, yeah, now she's taking a bit of time away from the sport, which is um, which is such a shame. But I remember saying at the start of Miami, that was the tournament when <clears throat> Barty was the number one, but, but because well, I say, but at the time we were all saying because of COVID rankings. You know, I was calling Naomi Osaka the de facto number one, and had certain results panned out Barty obviously not winning and Osaka doing better in Miami Osaka could have taken the world number one position and I remember talking about it on the prime video coverage like that was I'm going to say a foregone conclusion it was only a matter of time before that happened that she was the de facto number one and that is not a take that aged well it's almost as if Ash Barty heard me and said hang on a second because kind of from that moment onwards she's she was the world number one in reality and in all the ways um and it was a it was such a statement from ash Barty, that tournament wasn't it yeah it really was she was brilliant in that tournament once she got past the opening round where i think she had to maybe save match points if i remember um but then mm. from then on she was just wonderful in that tournament and that was the first time nomi osaka had lost since the tours resumed um, after COVID because she reached the final in Cincinnati. She won the US Open and then she obviously won the Australian Open at the start of the year. We hadn't seen Osaka lose since Fed Cup against Sara Suribes Tormo, uh, I think, you know, a year before, basically. So it, it was a bit of a, a shock, Osaka losing. And Barty just seemed to, from that point on, race away and prove herself as the world number one as as the season progressed. The uh, the men's final was Hubert Hurkacz against Yannick Sinner, uh, one of the um, many moments over the course of the past uh, five years that has been heralded as a changing of the guard. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it was weird that, wasn't it? Because Rublev, Sitsipas, Medvedev just couldn't 
capitalise on a Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, yeah. Luss tournament. They all had a chance to win it and they just all yeah, couldn't and they take just... it. Sitsipas really imploded, didn't he, in, in the semi-final, as I remember. Mm. And, and speaking of implosion, Miami was also the tournament of Vasek Pospisil's spectacular oh rant. Do you remember this? Oh, f- fantastically awkward, wasn't mm. it? Well, there were sort of whispers around the whole tournament about a potential player boycott didn't, with didn't... the PTPA. Didn't he ask for Gaudenzi to be brought to the court or something? Yep. He said, get him out here. Um, and then I, I'm, a, I'm about to swear. Are we allowed to do that? Yes, we are. In fact, David's mum embraces it, we've discovered. Yes, she um, does. <laughs> she lives vicariously through our swearing, Matt. Yes, OK. He said, an hour and a half yesterday, the chair of the ATP fucking screaming at me in a player meeting. The leader of the ATP, get him out here, fucking asshole." <laughs> And he said, if you want to default me, I'll gladly sue this whole organisation. Mm. They were, they, he was, his, his mouth was writing checks. His, uh, the rest of him couldn't quite cash there, wasn't it? He, let's, let's call it he to the moment. He later apologised. <laughs> <laughs> so many, so many weird, I mean, I, I know everything can, you know, look weird, but with the benefit of hindsight but but anyway so Hubert Hercatch became uh, a, a Masters 1000 champion and then he, he got COVID caught COVID right after um, that tournament didn't he and went on a seven match losing streak I think right into the into the grass court season um, when uh, he went on a, a run at Wimbledon of course but yeah had a horrible time after winning Miami um, the tour, of course, headed to clay after that, which was when we started to see the emergence of Paula Badosa. She beat uh, Ash Barty in Charleston. One of those results that at the time we didn't know if that was, you know, a one-off freakish result. Obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, we know, no, that was the early stages of the emergence of uh, of Paula Badosa, who ended up sort of going on to make the um, the semifinals in, in Madrid, where... I will remember Madrid for the promise of the Barty Sabalenka rivalry. Mm. Yeah, and and how how unstoppable mm. Sabalenka looked that week. She was unbeatable. It felt that week. But uh, just on Paula Badosa, to for quite a while, for quite a few months of the year, to me, she was that player that went through that awful experience in lockdown at uh, mm. the Australian Open. The one who had had it worse than anybody. Um, and and I actually love the way she just rewrote her own story as the weeks went on and has just become such a significant part of, of tennis now. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I loved that week in Madrid. It was actually a cracking tournament that, as a mm. result. Mm. It was. We had uh, Coco Goff winning a title on the clay in Parma and we had Igor Svantec beating Karolina Pliskova, love and love. Oh, yeah, in the Rome final. God, that was awful, wasn't it? Simultaneously uncomfortable, and yet, because it's Sviantek and the way she does it, she still managed to make that kind of enjoyable as well, because she was that good. Yeah, I didn't find that enjoyable, David. <laughs> I found that horribly uncomfortable. Is, do you, I mean, do it's you fine. I feel better about it now, because... Pliskova ended up having it was the this making incredible of season. It was the making of Karolina Pliskova. Words we never thought we'd be saying in our end of season review. Certainly not circa 
circa Rome 2021. Um, but at the time, you know, to watch this former world number one, former champion at, at that tournament, you know, not that long ago, get beaten like that was horrible and awkward. It was, I mean, no, I don't think I'll ever enjoy love and love. Um I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe there's the odd player I wouldn't mind seeing being beaten love and love. But basically, no, I always want to see a competitive <laughs> Ooh, match. And, guessing game uh, as to who. <laughs> um, and it was horrid, absolutely horrid. Um, in terms of uh, the ATP tour on the clay, Monte Carlo, we had Dan Evans beating Djokovic. That was unexpected. Dan Evans, dirtballer Dan. To think about that now, that, that Dan Evans beat Djokovic on clay... That is ridiculous, isn't the birth it? That's got to be Dirtballer Dan and all the people that started calling him Dirtballer Dan without giving you credit, David. Yeah, absolutely mm. right. Mm. I think Greg Rosetsky among them. Well, I'll have words with him. Mm. Uh, we had uh, that amazing uh, tournament in uh, in Belgrade, didn't we? With uh, the um. Karatsev Djokovic match and then the Karatsev Berrettini match, both of which were just brilliant. That was a, a great tournament. Nadal, Nadal hadn't looked brilliant, had he on the on the clay? Uh, lost to lost to Rublev in Monte Carlo. Sitsipas winning his first Masters one thousand title there. Then Nadal beat Sitsipas in the Barcelona final, which was probably. The men's match of the season outside of the slams, I would say. Um, that Barcelona final, just extraordinary. And then we had Nadal beating Djokovic in the Rome final, which, yeah, looks... I don't know, what's the opposite of portentous? Not portentous now. Should, should we have seen it coming at all with Nadal at any stage, do you think, Matt? Now, when you look back at that that season, the fact that he kind of, well... I mean, we'll lead up to the Djokovic match at the French Open, but did, do you think we were seeing it coming, that that this was the year that he was going to come up short? Honestly, no, because I felt he was doing what he'd done in the last couple of clay court seasons, where, remember in 2019, again, he started slowly on the clay. It, it took him a bit of time. But by the time he reached Rome, by the time he reached Roland Garros, he was he was in full top gear, and he was... Brilliant, and then obviously the 2020 clay court season was was strange because it was in October, and he wasn't very good in Rome. But again, by the time he got to the latter rounds at Roland Garros, he was exceptional. You know, let's not forget he crushed Novak Djokovic in the 2020 Roland Garros final, destroyed him. You know, certainly Less the than first two sets previous. Yeah, exactly, and I just. You know, it's Nadal on clay. I just thought he was doing that again and was building up to Roland Garros. And speaking of Roland Garros, I don't, I don't know about you, but I will. I mean, actually, a lot of Roland Garros really sticks in sticks in my memories. But in terms of the things that I will remember it for, it is the Nadal Djokovic semi final. Obviously, I think I'll remember that forever. It is Barbora Kuchikova um, winning the title, in particular that moment in her speech after winning when she talks about Jan and Avotna and, you know, struggling to, to hold it together emotionally, that will live with me. And it is what happened with Naomi Osaka um, at the start of the tournament when she put out that statement saying, 
Um, she wasn't going to be doing post-match press conferences over the over the course of of the tournament, and then the handling by the FFT, which I think we can all agree was at best clumsy, um, and then her withdrawal her withdrawal from the tournament and and the reverberations that have happened as a result of as a result of that occurrence. You know, when that statement first came out, we were all just kind of feeling our way, reacting to it. I think we'd probably react to it a little bit differently now with the benefit of hindsight. I still don't think it was a brilliantly worded and handled statement. Um and her 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 eventual other statements giving a sort of slightly fuller picture perhaps perhaps was slightly more elegantly handled, but nonetheless um my goodness me what a what a moment in the season a, a tough moment for lots of reasons but but an important one mm. yeah i i remember feeling incredibly sad actually for quite a few days at the start of that french open um i think in particular when the statement was put out by the grand slams and the itf um following osaka's round 1 win where they well, they find her, and then they spoke about this sort of escalation and how it could lead to it could lead to her being taken out of the event. And then she obviously took herself out of the tournament. And then we didn't see her for so long. And I just thought that statement at the time was was heavy handed and sort of escalated the situation. And certainly, with hindsight, I think that now even more so. But yeah, it's obviously, her I think her messaging right at the start could have been clearer. She said that, but. You know, if you're not in a good headspace, if you are struggling, it, it can be hard to say exactly what you want to say, I think. And ultimately, I think it's it's a move that has triggered a lot of very important conversations that has carried through the season across into other sports as well with other athletes prioritizing mental health. And, you know, I think she did a lot of good there, Naomi Osaka, ultimately, but certainly for a for a few days, it was it was just a very very sad situation. I felt mm. she is on the entry list for the Australian Open. So, goodness me, I'm looking forward to seeing her at the start of next season, and I hope she's refreshed and in a good place because tennis tennis has missed Naomi Osaka. In terms of in terms of the men's competition, obviously there's there's one big match that we'll all remember. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, the other moments, it was it was Federer, wasn't it? That win over a Kupfer, um, and then his withdrawal ahead of playing Matteo Berrettini. We had that, and we also had uh, Lorenzo Musetti's retirement for the fans. Best best retirement reason of the year, I would say. We'll of give him time. We'll give him that award. He retired for the fans, Matt, and 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 then didn't really win another match the whole season. No, turns out. To have not been a good decision, potentially. Just on that memory of Federer playing behind closed doors against Kupfer, I think that that, in its own weird little box, will stay with me because mm. of of how raw and authentic it was of competitor Roger Federer mm. just showing everybody, you know what, everybody thinks that I'm just going to do this lap of honour to full crowds and, and lavish receptions. And yes, I'm sure that will all come. But this is, at heart, what he is. This is what got him all these plaudits, all this praise, all this love in the first place, is not only the, the way he plays the sport, but the fact that, you know what, I'm happy to get down, dirty and scrap. Because you don't win all the stuff he won without doing that. 
Mm, it was like seeing a, a Hollywood actor sort of go back to performing on the stage off Broadway or something, wasn't it? And we knew at the time, or we felt at the time, that he wasn't fully fit. You know, we know now he was way off where he wanted to be. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, yeah, retired ahead of that matchup with with Matteo Berrettini. Um, Berrettini, of course, was then a, a victim of Novak Djokovic. And then we had... Nadal against Djokovic, uh, a match that, Matt, we watched together in my flat, sat in this very position I'm sitting in now. And, um, OK, we weren't we weren't there and we weren't in the crowd, but that was sort of the, <laughs> the most atmospheric tennis watching experience that I had had since the start of the pandemic. And it felt really, really important at the time. It was quite emotional. Um, Emmanuel Macron felt the same because uh, he put a call in to make sure that the curfew got extended so that that crowd and its atmosphere was not interrupted. Again, another wild thing that happened in 2021. This was our reaction to Djokovic beating Nadal to make his way through to the French Open final. I think I have just witnessed and I'm currently basking in the afterglow of one of the greatest men's tennis matches of all time. I certainly think that I've just watched the best set of men's tennis in my lifetime. Fans of or people that are particularly touchy about recency bias might not be a fan of this podcast because we'll get all sorts of accusations thereof. But show me a better set of tennis than the third that was played tonight between Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. I dare you to show me a better set of tennis. Is this hyperbole, David, or am I bang on? It's not hyperbole. I think the most vital ingredient of a truly great match, or a truly uh, in this case, I agree with you, probably the best set that I can think of in my life that I've seen, that being the third set, is that both players play pretty much their best tennis at the same time. And you only get that normally in little spells in any in any match, sometimes in any tournament. Well, these two are two of the greatest players of all time, without question, and they were playing their best tennis at the same time because they were just toe-to-toe, side-to-side, the two best defenders in the world, the greatest clay court player ever and a guy who is trying to overhaul the lot of them all at the same time. It's very hard to sum this sort of match up into any words that that do it justice and I'm sure I'm failing miserably. But I know that I was moved constantly throughout that match. I'm sitting in a hotel room on my own. Uh, There's that wonderful ambient sound option on on the Eurosport player where you don't have any commentary and I'm sure the commentary was great because there were commentators on tonight that I really like but I listened with no commentators and there were points where I ended up doing my own commentary on my own (laughs) in the room just because I was so worked up uh, it was that fantastic. is the most David Law thing that has ever happened. I love that. <laughs> Anyone else saying that, and I would think it was a little bit sad. But you, David, <laughs> I was I having think the time of my amazing. life. Yeah, I know you were. Gosh, I agree with everything you've both just said about this match and that third set in particular. I mean, I would add as an ingredient to a great set, not knowing 
which way it's going. And there were so many momentum swings in this set. It looked like Djokovic had it. Nadal came back. It looked like Djokovic had it again. Nadal came back again. And we headed into a tie break. And I said to Catherine at this point, can you imagine losing this set of tennis and winning the match? I just didn't think it was possible. And then when Djokovic did win that tie break, I said, well, if there's one guy who could lose that set of tennis and win the match, it's Nadal. And yet he broke at the start of the fourth set. But actually, I think we saw he he didn't have anything left. He was broken by the end of that match, physically, emotionally, mentally. That set, that match had taken so much out of him. And yeah, I think, you know, beating Nadal is the, at Roland Garros is the toughest thing in tennis. And we saw the depths Djokovic had to dig to be able to do it. I certainly can't confidently say that I remember Novak Djokovic ever playing better tennis than that. I mean, he, he blew me away tonight. I just, I, I felt like... Felt like we all should have just sort of dropped to our knees after the match rather than standing on our feet. Really want to go back and watch that match now, particularly uh, that third set, which, yeah, that I, I do vividly remember just feeling I, I haven't seen anything better as, as a set of tennis. David, are you having Salford Holiday and flashbacks? Is that, a, is that a, a part of 2021 that you'd like to relive? It is, yeah. I I, I remember thinking afterwards, I want to watch this match again. And, I'm, and I, I'm here in December and I'm really disappointed with myself that I haven't watched it again. I'd like to go and watch it again now. Because, uh, I did, you know, hearing that back reminds me of how it did make me feel. Um, and, yeah, the, the, the idea of somebody breaking Nadal down on that surface. And you talked about, you don't know whether you've seen anything. He showed you something new, Djokovic. That's because he did it on clay. He did it against Nadal. He did it at the French Open. Just unheard of to do it like that. In hindsight, do, does the Nadal injury and what we've known since, does that change your view at all, either of you? Well, he was still able to play extraordinary tennis right up until he wasn't. I, I, maybe the foot was bothering him before the latter stages of the match. The final set, certainly the foot absolutely was was an issue it it looked at the time I think we didn't want to dwell on it too much because we didn't want to detract from the fantastic spectacle I don't think it was injury that decided that match um but yes certainly in that last set uh the the foot was a was an impediment to Nadal but it certainly didn't look like it was in the third set did it I mean if he played that set of tennis you know whether he lost it or not, he still played an extraordinary set. If he played that set with a terribly, terribly painful foot injury, then, well, I don't know. There aren't words for that, are there? I agree. And I think looking back at it now, that was the moment for me which changed the whole narrative of the men's tennis season, really. Because, you know, Djokovic winning in Australia, that's that's his territory. That's like a hold of serve, really, I suppose, for him. But beating Nadal for a second time at Roland Garros and then backing it up and going on to beat Tsitsipas in the final from two sets down, that was the moment where he really just added to his greatness, I felt, that weekend. And just suddenly then 
you're starting to think about the Grand Slam. And, and I, th- I think we were in the immediate aftermath of the French Open. Djokovic totally took control of the season in, in those two or three days. Mm. Yeah, uh, perhaps not when he was two sets love down to sit to pass in the final. We won't uh, we won't dwell on reliving that because, as we disclosed to you at the time, none of us particularly were able to watch that match. Didn't see a ball. <laughs> I saw a few, but while I was racing between commitments at Queen's, that's where we all were at that time. But I mean, that Life was amazing. Life are a beautiful thing. It, it, when you think back about that, to, to, to follow that extraordinary match against Nadal and end up two sets down for Djokovic, that's a hell of an achievement for him to, to mm. find a way from there. No matter, the, no matter how I don't know it, how it happened, because <laughs> I didn't watch it really, but the the, the just the thought of that I don't know how you you handle that mentally Mm. I remember speculating at the time that maybe it would feel like beating Nadal was the summit and and uh, it would be difficult to to find a a new you know resource um new new way to summit but anyway he did it and he did it the hard way and it was extraordinary um We'll be covering the final two Grand Slams and and the remainder of the season in our second show on Thursday. Just a word, though, David, before we wrap up on our on our part one experience on Barbora Krachikova, um, because look, we all love Barbora Krachikova, but you were an early adopter, and she, she, I don't know, there's a connection between you and Barbora. She, <laughs> you get one another. She really moves you, doesn't she? She doesn't even know who I am. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I definitely just wait till she meets you, David. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> but no, no. I mean, it, I think what it is, I've always found. I always get very emotional whenever I watch the the little video of Jana Novotna's Wimbledon because I I lived through that uh, in terms of all her career. I was a tennis fan and I followed that and I felt so upset about her her near misses and then was so uplifted by her her title victory I mean I did get a couple of small chances to commentate with her didn't know her very well but just she always got under my skin and into her story she made me feel things and and when she passed away it was so upsetting and then to hear what she'd meant to Barbara Krishikova both emotionally and also as a coach and a mentor and how similar they sounded and how similar her mannerisms were and even how similar her game looked to me the moment I first saw it at that tournament in Dubai and really watched it as a singles game and I don't know I just it was it's a wonderful thing really to to it was like seeing Jana Novotna again and uh yeah, I, and I love the way Krachikova talks, and it was, it's only compounded by what we've since had at the end of the year with her wonderful speech at the WTA Finals that we, we talked about a few weeks ago. I, I, I think she's great. I really hope that there's so much more to come from her because she's good news. Yeah, she's a bit different, isn't she? You know, talking mm. about the, that WTA Avengers thing, you know, the, the the beauty of that lineup is that they, they're all that little bit different. Yeah. And all, I, I, all of those... I, all of all of the fresh blood has has something different about them, and she's she's different again, isn't she? To I love introducing others. my daughter to all of them. You know, mm. when when there are matches on, my daughter will come in and I'll say, "Oh, the, these two are playing," and she go, "Oh, who are they?" And and I'll and without fail, every one of them has got a story. Every one of them has got something I can say something about that will 
mean something to her and make her care about it and i think that that's and she definitely critique of as somebody who i'd who i'd love my daughter to sort of look up to you know wow wow well that's that's very moving i'm getting moved by the david barbora relationship sort of biosmosis it's it's just a little bit of the magic is rubbing off on me. I'll probably meet her and not, you know, maybe <laughs> be completely we underwhelmed. We'll hate each other. <laughs> Don't meet your heroes. Um, look, let's wrap up part one of our 2021 review. There's obviously this is so much more to relive. I sort of want to carry on because in the next section uh, are the words BJK Curry Night. Uh, but I think we'll need a whole new podcast to uh, to review that and a quite extraordinary second half of the 2021 season. So we will be back on Thursday. Um we don't have shout outs today because there are positions vacant on the shout out front. Uh, that is one of the categories uh, on offer on Friends of the Tennis podcast. You can get yourself a shout out as well as bonus content uh, featuring the story about my destruction of my parents' kitchen Ouch. and bathroom <laughs> with photo accompaniments. Can I just say, I saw the photos yesterday. They will blow your mind. Yeah, if you think Catherine is over-egging the story, think again. Think again. Yeah. In fact, you might be underselling it. <laughs> <laughs> My parents still aren't over it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that is your that is your teaser for uh, to make yourself a friend of the pod if you haven't already. Thank you so much if you have already. We really are grateful. Um, if you haven't um, and you would like to, um, then please do. It is so easy. The link is in our show notes. Um, there is plenty of incentive for you to do so. You get to become officially our friend. You also get all of the uh, the bonus content. And if you go for if you go for those categories, you can get yourself a shout out or a mascot position or many of the other wonderful categories that we have on offer. You can do an intro. You can be a guest editor. You can be a top bloke for the year officially. Um, so, yeah, do do that if you can and want to. We'll be back on Thursday with another one of these. Uh, we still have our mascots, Zeus, Scousel, Mousel and Rogue. We've got no predictions to disgrace them with this week. Billy Jean still has Billy Jean King. And uh, I've told her that Billy Jean King uh, and Ilana have renewed that sponsorship for 2022. She's 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 taking it in. She's, take, she's taking it in her stride. Mm. Yeah. Um, we still have the one and original top bloke, Chris Albert Lee. Hello to Chris Albert Lee. You're a stalwart of the pod and an official friend, and that is brilliant. And we have two mascots for this week. Bella, a German Shepherd Labrador mix. I uh, Oh my goodness, I'm looking at a picture of Bella. She's gorgeous. She looks like she's a fan of the Aussie rules, uh, the Richmond. No, yeah, I th- what are they called? I think what that is, is the team from Ted Lasso. AFC is it? Richmond. Is that what the AFC is? I think so. Oh, well, that's adorable. She is gorgeous. I had a Labrador called Bella and she was heart meltingly wonderful um but she didn't have uh she didn't have a ted lasso scarf so this bella's got one up on my bella uh and we also have izzy the cat who is a sort of uh sister of of bella can that can that can you have interspecies sibling re well anyway uh she's got she's 
called Izzy. Uh, they're named after Isabella from the Carter. She's named after... Um, oh, hang on. No, Izzy and Bella. I see what they've done there. They're named after Isabella. Both of them from the cartoon Phineas and Ferb. They're owned by brother and sister Kate and Zach Weiskopf uh, from Wyoming in Ohio. Kate turns 14 today and Zach is 11. Uh, we also have this. Oh, I love backstory. Bella the dog cured Kate's fear of dogs when she was adopted six year, years ago. Oh, <laughs> I wish I'd read that in advance. That has really floored me. I am going to go and have a cry. That was incredibly beautiful. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with the second part of our review of the year. So we'll speak to you then. 